Take your copy of the Word of God and we'll turn together to the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 18, and we'll also go to Romans chapter 8, if you would. And the Bible uses symbolism, symbols, image, uh, to deepen the message of, of God and what he has for his people. And God instructs the prophet and the prophet Jeremiah, one of the Old Testament prophets, and uh, instructed him to go to a potter's house where he would illustrate God would illustrate his relationship to Israel. We have Jeremiah's record of that here in Jeremiah chapter 18 and verses 3 and 4. If you would, let's read that together. Let's stand out of respect to God's word. We'll read a couple verses here, then we'll go to Romans chapter 8. Jeremiah 18, verse 3. And uh, we'll read just two verses, so if you would, read out loud with me. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold... He wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. And Romans chapter 8, and we'll look at verse 28, but uh, just thinking back a few years ago, I was down in, I believe it was eh, Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge, one of those little towns down there, and uh, tourist traps in Knoxville area, and the Smoky Mountains, beautiful part of the country. And uh, we went, first time I think I've ever been to a potter's house or a, a man who made pottery. And he was a potter. And he was working away in there. And what a sight that was. Uh, so very interesting. And as uh, God's picture here, as somebody's making pottery, and uh, the clay sometimes needs some work. And uh, we're the clay, right? Thou art the potter, I am the clay. And sometimes the potter will reform the clay. And sometimes he'll have to take a knife and cut out some rocks and cut out some stones, cut out some things that have come to the surface. And uh, we see that picture here, that in verse 4 in the, uh, of Jeremiah, as you're turning to Romans 8, I'll just read it for you. The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. There was some imperfection. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. May we remember that although we are a beautiful vessel and a beautiful uh, creation in the hands of the Lord, we're not the potter. He's the one that will remake us into what seems best for him, what brings God glory, what pleases him. In Romans chapter 8, 28, the Bible says, a very famous verse here, you could probably quote it, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I love that last part of the verse because it leads us into verse 29. What is God's purpose for us? Sometimes we wonder that. I spoke a couple weeks ago about uh, God's will for your life. What is God's will for me? And he has a specific will for all of us. He has a very specific will for your life. But what is, his, uh, what is the will that he has for all believers? Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. He has a plan. He has a program. we got to get with the program. Amen? And he says that he has predestinated us to be conformed to the image of his Son. Think about that word conformed, to be shaped and molded, just like the potter with the potter, pottery and the clay. As he's forming that, and it's still pliable, and uh, sometimes he has to do some work on it. 
And, uh, but may we be pliable in the Lord's hands that we could be conformed to be like Jesus Christ. And the Bible says here that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's desire is that he would use our life to bring people to Christ, amen? And uh, I wanna just pray to, uh, to start our service, not close our service. Sometimes I get excited, you know, the preachers get to preaching, especially when I was younger, I'd hear the preacher preaching, and then he'd finally get to his text, and then he'd say, oh, now I'm gonna pray, it's been 20 minutes already. I'm like, well, maybe he's closing, maybe we can go eat now, I don't know, but that's not what's happening this morning. We're just gonna open our service in prayer our time of preaching. Father, Lord, I pray your blessing upon your word. Thank you for it. I pray today that you'd help us as we understand that, God, you use broken things. That's what you specialize in. Sometimes we look at our life and we say, I've messed up so much. We say, God can never use me. But God, you specializing, specialize in using that which is broken because, God, you can and will reform us and, and make us into the image of Jesus if we would just submit to you. Lord, help us to not listen to the devil Help us not listen to the evil one who's whispering in our ears saying that we've, we're, we're beyond repair, we're beyond hope, or, or we've just kind of lived out our life and we don't have anything left to give to the Lord. Help us, Father, to realize that you still have something for us to do and something wonderful, something very specific for our life. And God, you want to take that which is broken. You want to take all of, the, all of the difficulties and hardships and all the sin, and you want to take that and transform us and, uh, and have a vessel that brings you honor and glory. Help us to be part of that. Help us to, to just uh, covenant with you today, Lord, and say, I submit to your plan. God, thank you that you use broken things. You're the God of second and third and fourth chances. I pray that you bless this, this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Three simple points this morning. Number one, the assurance of God's promise. See there in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. The Bible says, we know. We know. So many people say, well, how can you know? Well, it takes faith to know, but we know. And as you live for the Lord and as you trust him, you will have opportunities to prove him as he proves himself. And we know. I love how Paul writes that. All things work together for good. This is an ironclad promise from God. His reputation rides on his word. All things, he says, works together for good. I like what F.B. Meyer has said. If any promise of God should fail, the heavens would clothe themselves in sackcloth. The sun, the moon, and the stars would reel from their courses. The universe would rock, and a hollow wind would moan through a ruined creation. The awful act that God can lie. But I'm so thankful that God, he not only will not lie, but God cannot lie. Amen? So we see, number one, the assurance of God's promise. We know. Amen? And if you don't get anything else today, just say, we know that all things work together for good. That's a wonderful promise. Secondly, this morning, and you say, wow, we only have three points. You're already on the second point, Pastor. And uh, number two, the totality of God's promise. He says all. You see the word there? All. And uh, and I don't, we don't use this detergent, well, maybe we do if it's on sale, but all, right? I think they have a detergent called all, A-L-L, -L, and it gets all the stains out, supposedly, right? I don't know why they call it all. Maybe, maybe that's why they call it that, but all things work together for good. In Webster's Dictionary, the definition of all is the whole of, the greatest possible. Remember, uh, uh, or, or, or any individual part of it, the whole number or sum of every, any, whatever. 
and we know that all things. You say, well, pastor, some things work together for good. No, my friend, when God says all, he means all. All things work together for good. Everything. In fact, everything in life of the child of God is working for your good, even the things you don't understand. We talked about the sovereign will of God. There's things that God does that we don't understand. There's no uh, maybe even human explanation for it. It's beyond our reasoning, but God has a purpose. God has a plan. He always does that which is for our good and for his glory. So under this point, the totality of God's promise, all, we see letter A, pleasant things work for our good. Now, that's easy. It's easy to believe that good things work for our good, amen? And the, uh, when you get the job that you've been looking for, or when you uh, get a promotion at work, or when you have uh, your children, and uh, when you get married, and when you have good health, and when God blesses you in other ways, these blessings from the Lord ought to cause us to be thankful, and to turn to the Lord and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for all that you're doing. Thank you, God, for the pleasant things, amen? But it's sad to see so many Christians that are not thankful for the good things that God gives to them. Well, how on earth are they going to be thankful for the, the tragedy and the temptation? We say, well, why would we be grateful for that? Well, I wrote, read this morning in James chapter 1 that, uh, that uh, uh, how that every trial and tribulation is a blessing from the Lord. He said, count it all joy, James says, count it all joy when he fall into divers temptation. And so we see that uh, uh, James chapter, I'll turn there if you would, James chapter one, there's a couple other verses I want to look at, but let's look at James. Hebrews, book of Hebrews, then James chapter one, verse number two, my brother count joy when you fall into divers temptations. What in the world are divers temptations? Are those the only temp temptations that only affect those that go scuba diving or those that uh, search for hidden treasures under the water? No, divers just means diverse, okay? It's not, uh, it's just a, the way it's written there, uh, the old word, but diverse. Various, uh, different colors of temptations, as they say. Uh, the word has that understanding of, of a variation. When we fall into different temptations, diverse tem uh, temptations, Paul, or James here says, count it all joy. So the pleasant things, amen, work for our good. Praise the Lord for that. And we ought to thank God and praise him for those blessings when God, uh, when God gives us uh, something maybe we've been asking for. But how about when God gives the things that we haven't asked for? Letter B, distressing things. Those work for our good. Romans chapter 8, you can go back there and we might uh, read this text again. But just to kind of make sure we're all staying on the same page together, Romans 8, 28, distressing things work for our good. When God allows a time of sorrow or suffering, we should be thankful for those things too. Uh, because the pain in our life is still for our good and for his glory. And uh, God uh, never said we had to like it. But we ought to strive to be even thankful for the distressing things. First Peter chapter 4. I'll read this. If you don't want to turn there, that's okay. But I'll read this verse. First Peter 4, uh, similar to James chapter 1. But First Peter 4, verse 12 and 13. Uh, Peter writes, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. He's speaking to believers. He says, think it not strange. Think it not strange. Don't think that this is unusual. 
uh, when you face fiery trials. Think it not strange concerning the fire trial, which is to try you or to test you. You think about the clay in the potter's hands. Now, that is a trial for the clay, amen? And the clay is being worked and is being molded and is being put through uh, something that is shaping and forming it. And uh, as we uh, think of that symbolism of clay and maybe put ourselves in that position. I know he's speaking to Israel, but we put ourselves there. And you think about the clay being formed as God is doing things. He's working everything out for our good and for his glory. He's having to remove some things. He's having to uh, mold and sometimes crush things that we say, God, I wanted that, and why did why'd you take that away from me? God, why are, you, why are you doing this? We understand even distressing things God uses. And in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, although some th- strange thing happened unto you. Sometimes we say, God, you forgot about me. God, why are you doing this? God, you, you, must, have done, you must have made a mistake. God never makes a mistake, and God's always good. And so we got, we got to say, Lord, I'm going to accept this. This is from you. And uh, he says, but rejoice, verse 13 of 1 Peter 4, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. When we get to heaven, we'll understand the why. When we talk about that sovereign grace of God, we don't always understand it. It's beyond human understanding. But when we get to heaven, all things will be revealed to us. We'll have that knowledge of of the why. But in this lifetime, as we cannot see the why, as we don't know the why, as we don't understand why, God, you are doing this, we can rejoice and say, I know that someday it will be revealed, and there's a purpose behind this trial. There's a purpose behind the distressing things as they, they are brought into our life. Then thirdly, we see that personal failures work out for our good. <laughs> now, Christians ought not to sin, amen? We can agree on that. And we should not be striving for personal failures. And sometimes we can listen to Unshackled and we say, man, what a testimony that person has. What a great instrument and tool uh, that God has given to that person to share the gospel. Boy, I wish I had that testimony. No, you don't. No, you don't. But if God's given to you a story of redemption, well, praise God for that. Amen? Praise God for how he, he has intervened in, in, in your life and how that, as the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, and you, you got as close to death as anyone could have. Because the Bible talks about how that sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death. Amen? Some of you got very close to the last day of your life on this earth. You got very close to that last day. But the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. But you understood that there was a day when you received that grace of God. The grace of God, amen, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The grace of God on the road to destruction. You, you have that transformation, praise God. But personal failures, it doesn't have to be a great story. Maybe that would go on unshackled. It doesn't have to be a story where somebody was uh, was on drugs or was was uh, uh, in the bottle and and, and 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 strung out, but God can use all the failures of our life, and all of us have failed. All of us have sinned. There's not one person in this world that can say I'm lived. I've lived a perfect life. None of us can say that. But God can take the suffering brought uh, through 
brought on by that sin, and he can use it for our good. Think of the story of, uh, of, of Joseph in the Bible. You get to Genesis chapter 50, all the way at the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph had been through a lot of suffering and trial. He had been uh, one of his father's favorite sons, given that coat of many colors we read about. And uh, then he was, he was uh, dealing with his brothers who were jealous of him, who, uh, who were jealous of the attention that their father had given to Joseph. And then one day they uh, decided to, to end it all for Joseph. They decided to throw him in a well, and then they sold him to the Midianites. And then they took that coat of many colors, and they, they uh, covered it with blood, and they brought it to their father and said, See, your beloved son is dead. His father considered him dead, but Joseph was alive. He goes into Egypt. He is uh, sold as a slave to, uh, to Mr. Potiphar there, the uh, uh, mighty, mighty man in, in Egypt who uh, then uh, allowed him to be uh, the one who ruled his house in the sense that he had given him so much privilege and opportunity to uh, take care of his, his affairs. And then one day, Mrs. Potiphar comes and tries to tempt Joseph. Joseph resists. He does the right thing, but that wasn't good enough. Mrs. Potiphar was scorned, and so she said, this man did something horrible to me, and there goes Joseph off into prison in Egypt. Joseph works his way up through the prison in Egypt, there came a day through all the different trials that Joseph faced that Joseph was placed in a position of power and authority in the world, second in command. And the Bible says in Genesis 50, Joseph tells his brothers, you meant this unto me, you, you meant to do evil to me, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There was a reunion, there was a day where Joseph was able to get back with his family. Here he is, a powerful man who could crush his brothers who had done all of these things to him, and he had the, the uh, lawful authority to do that, but he instead said, I'm gonna show grace and mercy. And uh, he said, God meant it for good. I'm so glad that he got to see the big picture, that he understood that because that story is such a blessing to us. And we realize that God can even use the personal failures of us as well as others. And some people have done you wrong. Some people have done some things to you and have ruined your life and messed your life up. But you know what? It's, it's, it's for God's good, or for our good and for God's glory. If you would just say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Amen. Yeah. So I heard Jack Kyles tell a story of when he preached at a big camp meeting under a tent. <coughs> and at the uh, end of the meeting, this down south, okay, just to give you the right the right venue, understand. They do things a little different down south. And uh, appreciate the ministries that are down there, but they're very southern. And uh, they like to hold big camp meetings, which is great. And it's hard for us to do that up here. We only have a few good months uh, where we could do something like that. But down, down south, they love to hold those big tent meetings. And uh, they, they had one of those, and, and they had the sawdust trail and all of that. And... Uh, this preacher at the end of the meeting came up to Jack Hiles. This man, this old preacher, he was nearly 80 years old, and he says to Pastor Hiles, he said, would you pray with me? And Jack Hiles said, we knelt at the altar of that big tent. Nobody there but us. And he began to pray with tears falling into the sawdust. And he prayed, dear Heavenly Father, I hate flour. And uh, Dr. Hiles said, well, that's not in the Westminster Confession. I'm not familiar with that prayer. I hate flour. And the old preacher continued. I said, oh, Lord, I hate flour. 
Oh, I hate flour. And Jack Howell said, good night, this man is senile. What is wrong with this man? He hates flour, okay. And then uh, the old preacher continued in his prayer. He said, dear God, I hate baking powder. <laughs> oh, I hate baking powder. And he continued on. Jack Howell said, he looked at him while he was praying, and this man, his, his eyes were filled with tears, and tears were dropping on the sawdust as he kept praying. And he said, oh, dear Lord, I hate shortening. Oh, I hate shortening. Dear Lord, I hate salt. And somebody said, I hate salt, too. It's not good for you. It's, sodium is not good. But he said, I hate salt. And Dr. Howell said, I watched him while he prayed, and, and he said, I didn't bow my head at that point. So I figured somebody ought to be watching. Then all of a sudden, he lifted his hands up towards heaven, and he said, as a smile came across his face, his eyes still shut, and he said, but dear God, you put them all together, and you mix them up, and you put them in the oven, I sure do love hot biscuits. <laughs> but I understand what he meant, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to them that love God. If you take a trip to the pharmacy here, go to Walgreens, maybe get a prescription filled, the druggist will take several bottles I believe they still do it this way. And they mix them together and they make something good. And some of the chemicals that that pharmacist use may be dangerous, even fatal when they're mixed, when they are not mixed together in proper amounts, but they can, when, they're done, when it's done the right way, it could heal your body. But have you ever considered that's how God works? He takes all of the things, the good, he takes the distressing things even, he even takes the failures of us and others, and he can mix all of those things to good, uh, together and all those things that maybe look so terrible and all those things that are not good. But God mixes all of it together, the bitter and the sweet, and he blends it together into something wonderful as only God can do. And my friend, you will never see the blessing of God do that if you continue to fight him if you continue to stay on that road of bitterness, if you, if you continue to, to keep blaming God for your problems and say, God, you did this to me. God, you're not letting me do what I want to do. God, you're not doing the good, the good that I, I know you could do for me. Why don't you give me what you gave to them over there? But you know, God deals with us as an individual. He knows what's best for us. He can take a life filled with pain and filled with sorrow, regret, and sin, and sadness, and wickedness. And when that life is given to the Lord, he can mix all of those bad things together. And as only he can do, he can bring something wonderful out of that mess. And thirdly, today I see the condition of God's promise. Go with me to Romans 8, 28. And he says there, and we know that all things work together for good. Here's the condition, to them that love God. To them that love God. How can I tell if I really love God? Letter A. Letter A. Are you saved? Are you saved? You don't love him if you don't know him. By the way, we were reading this morning about how Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, Noah didn't uh, earn grace. Noah didn't deserve grace, but Noah found grace. 
There's nobody that earns salvation from God, amen? There's nobody that deserves salvation. We're all sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But I'm so thankful, as we talked about earlier, the grace of God. That gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, the only one who has power to save us. We ourselves are powerless over our sin nature. We're powerless over Satan. But with God, all things are possible. That grace of God comes in our life when we receive it and we say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I don't deserve you. I don't deserve salvation. But I know your son Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago and he died on the cross and he shed his blood so that we might be saved. We might have a way to receive eternal life. I'm so thankful that Jesus, you died on that cross for me. That's that grace of God. It's only through the beloved son of Jesus, son of God Jesus, that we can be saved. That's the condition to them that love God. So many people say, well, I love God, but do you know God and does he know you? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Are you trying to, are you trying to reach heaven or are you understand that only heaven can come down to reach us? It's Jesus that came to us because we couldn't go to him. Letter, letter B under this point of the condition of God's promise, are you obedient? Are you obedient? If you love the Lord today, if you love the Lord and you're saved, you need to be obedient to the Lord. For him to work in your life, you have to submit to him. God uses all the circumstances for our good. We may not see it right now. We may not see the good right now, but we can still take comfort in knowing that he's still at work. Jeremiah 18, verse four, verse four, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. The vessel, the clay was marred. But then he says, so then he made it again. Amen? Another vessel. It seemed good to the potter to make. Do you remember how I started the message today? God is the God of second chances. He wants to give you an, another chance. But you have to submit to him. You have to obey him. You have to be obedient to the Lord. God isn't finished with you. I like to think that just as the potter, he destroys a flawed project and he starts it over, I can also be reshaped into something new. Think of my, my hero, one of my heroes, I guess. I try not to lift people up until they're in glory. As far as somebody that would say, I would say, man, that, that person is somebody to follow as a great example. But I have a couple preachers that I like. Um, and one of them is Pastor Clarence Sexton. He is preaching this pulpit here, and uh, he has just been a real blessing to our church, to myself, to the nation, to the world. But he just went to be with the Lord about a month ago, and Pastor Clarence Claire Sexton told the story of attending a big evangelism meeting in Nashville, Tennessee, many years ago. There were two speakers in the meeting of that church in Nashville. One was a pastor by the name of Jerry Glisson. He pastored the Leewood Heights Baptist in Memphis, Tennessee. And they introduced this preacher, Pastor Glisson, and he came from his chair weeping. Not just weeping, he was sobbing. He came to the pulpit and he said, I want you to pray for me, please pray for me, because I don't know how I'm going to have the strength to preach. Just the other evening, he said, I followed my son through the streets of Memphis until I found him. He's a drug addict. 
And when I found him, he said, I don't, why don't you run a knife through my heart and kill me quickly? And he said, why don't you go home and do the same to your mother? Because you're killing us by degrees by how you're living. He preached, and then the pastor, uh, William A. Criswell, there'll be a Criswell, some of you might know that name, pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, from the 40s through the late 90s or early 2000s. Pastor Chris, Chriswell got up to preach. And he said, I'm going to preach on broken things. Because God is not going to use you until you're broken. And uh, Pastor Chriswell was, he, he was a great preacher, but he told lots of stories. And that night as he preached, he told a story about John Wesley. Wesley was uh, a tremendous, mighty preacher, man of God. This man was just a little bit under five feet tall. I never knew that. But um, somebody came to visit John Wesley at his home, and Wesley's wife was dragging him through the house by, his, by the hair of his head, as Chriswell tells the story. And finally she left him, and Wesley said, I'm going, and I'm not, she's gone, or she's going, and I'm not going after her. What a sad story. You think about different men of God that have gone through things. And in this meeting, Pastor Chriswell told his own story. Pastor Chriswell said that, uh, I have only one daughter, he said. Her name's Annie. My little Annie came in and said, Daddy, I'm expecting a baby and I don't have a husband. And the story is that Dr. Chriswell and his wife, they raised that little baby as their own. And Pastor Sexton said in that meeting as he listened to these two men of God who were famous preachers, they began to share stories of their own life. And Pastor Sexton said, as he, as, as he sat there, he, he said, in that moment I thought, I want God to use me, but I don't want to have to go through those kinds of things. He said, I want to be the exception he said, I want to be the preacher that's not been broken, that hasn't suffered, and the preacher that God still uses. And he went on to say, Pastor Sexton said, if I had a thousand lives to live, so help me God, I'd give every one of them to be a preacher of the gospel, but I can affirm to you, he said, that after 54 years of ministry, that the Lord is not going to use anyone as he wants to use them until they're broken. And I don't know what it's going to take to accomplish that in your life and in my life, but God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And the idea is that Satan wants to destroy you. He's doing everything he can to destroy your life. But God's not going to let this happen if you would just submit to him and obey him. God is going to take the very thing that Satan brings into your life, the very thing that Satan uses to destroy you, and he will turn around and make you the man or the woman that God wants you to be. Because God puts us together in a way that brings him glory. So remember that when God brings something into your life, he will take it. Because God takes all things, all things, and works them together for good. The point of all of it, the point of all of it is that he is shaping us. He is shaping us, and God's shaping your life. I don't know what you're going through. I know some of you are struggling. 
Some of you are, are facing some real, your, your faith is being stretched right now. I don't even know every situation. I know some, but I don't know every situation here. There's no way that I could. But God is, is taking you, and he is forming you, and he does that through hardship. He does that through difficulty. Anything good in your life, anything good in your life, came about through something difficult. As God is shaping you, he wants you to, to remember that he still loves you. He has a plan for you. He's not done with you. If you're breathing, God has something for you to do. Amen? God has a plan for your life. But may you and I submit to the Lord today in obedience. I ask if you would just stand with me and as we close in our service in word of prayer. We will have an invitation. We're going to have the Lord's Supper in just a moment. If you want to take some time even during the Lord's Supper just to to pray to the Lord and, and uh, just covenant with him. Say, Lord, I give you my life again. I submit to you. Maybe you're not saved this morning, and pr praise the Lord, I'm glad you're here. But today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. I'll give you an invitation. We're inviting you to come. I'll have somebody take the word of God and show you how you can know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. And we'll have somebody take the word of God and show you. And this is the most important decision that you will ever make. This is the most important decision that anyone could ever make. But it needs to be made. It needs to be made. We don't know the future. I don't know tomorrow. You don't know tomorrow. But you have the Lord working today. He's speaking to you. As the piano plays in just a moment, I invite you to come. Have somebody, we'll have somebody show you the word of God, how to be saved. And we'll rejoice with you. Amen. We will rejoice. Father, Lord, I do pray that you bless this invitation. Father, I pray that you help us to realize that because something bad in our life happens, that doesn't mean that you're done with us. That means that you're working on us. We're so thankful for that comfort. I pray that you'd help us to submit to you. Lord, help us not to go the, the wrong route go away from you. Lord, help us to just hold your hand and say, I'm with you, Lord. Guide me. Take me where you want to take me. May we have that kind of faith this morning, Father. I pray that you bless this time of invitation. I pray for anyone that's not saved here this morning, as you're working in their heart, that today that they would trust you as their Savior. Pray these things in Jesus' name.